Next, we're going to have um, John Harris come and teach us on building for future generations. Um, if I'm sure many of you are familiar with John's podcast, Conversations That Matter. Um, excellent material, excellent podcast. I encourage you to get in on that if you're not already familiar. But with no further ado, John, come and, uh, come and teach us. Or are you going to lead us in a song first? <laughs> Get yourself some Gold River tea. All right. Uh. <laughs> so that sounds like from the laughter, many of you know that Tim actually was the one who did the intro, recorded it, just like you do for James White. Who all do you, who all podcasts do you uh, have on your list? You, oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> You're the official podcast guy. For, yeah, for the, all the naughty boys, you do their podcasts music yeah <laughs> oh wow there you go I, I mean I I did my own and you were like John that stinks let me do it so it's like I thought it sounded good but uh <laughs> well it's been a, an encouraging day it's really good to see old friends and meet new friends and um I told Tim yesterday I said I asked him do you have a is there like a bigger venue nearby so that we can I mean this thing's kind of it's catching on. You got people driving from Michigan and uh, I don't know where. So I, I'm just curious. Um, if you're not from this state, could you just raise your hand? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So that's like a good third of the, the audience, at least, isn't, isn't from Indiana. So, uh, so everything you just heard from a local representative didn't apply. No, it was. <laughs> I can say that now that he's gone working on an outhouse. But. Uh, <laughs> So uh, just two housekeeping things, kind of. I just need to let people know. Uh, there is a table over here behind these doors, and I do have a number of these books. I have more in the car, so um, if anyone wants to get 50 copies, I can accommodate you. Uh, <laughs> please do that. No. So there's two books I brought. Uh, one's uh, the red and the blue, right, which take the red pill or the blue pill. I, the next book I write will have to be white, so I can complete my Christian nationalist credentials. But... <laughs> Um, so the, the blue one, Social Justice Goes to Church, is just a history of how the social justice movement got into evangelicalism. The red one is uh, the one I wrote last year, Christianity and Social Justice, and that is more of an apologetics um, description of what social justice is and then how to refute it. So from a Christian perspective. So uh, I would just encourage you to get those. Oh, and I should mention the, the red book, Christianity and Social Justice, now we have, you can download it for free online, just go to my website, worldviewconversation.com, and you can download a study guide for small groups, because that's actually why I wrote it. I really just didn't see a lot of good material out there on this subject. Even some of the books written against it, I thought these aren't great for Bible studies, small groups, that kind of thing. And so that's why I wrote this. It's so, um, anyway, let, let's, uh, can we just stand for a moment before we, we uh, Tim purposely gave me. I'm not going to make you do Father Abraham, but uh, anyway, all right, yeah, stretch, all right, okay. <laughs> We're not doing yoga, that's, no. Having an Amazon subscription is enough, we can't, no more compromise, no. <laughs> I said I was going to work it in, okay, all right, you can sit down, thank you. T Tim gave me the, the, the drowsy after lunch kind of like coma time, so I, I got to get the blood flowing here. 
Um, most of you know that my public efforts, and if you, you didn't, now you do, over the last few years are concerned with identifying and refuting social justice. And there's, what I want to do today is a little different. I'm used to talking about social justice, and if I go to a church or a political venue, I'll ask them what would be helpful. And sometimes they'll say, well, speak on this aspect of social justice. So I'll do a whole thing on the Me Too movement. You know, the 10 reasons why the Me Too movement is, is bad or something. But I want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I want to talk about solutions to this. And it's not actually that complicated. There's really four points and then kind of a, a long kind of intro to get there. But the four points I'll just give them to you now is to get real, to build, to think local, and to trust the Lord. And um, as a, someone who went to a Reformed seminary who had pastoral training, I'm kind of breaking a rule here. I should have alliterated this because it's basically gibbetita. It's not really catchy, but get real, build, think local, trust the Lord. That's, it, it's just trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, as the song goes. Uh, so now you can all go home. You, you understand that's all we got to do. But um, applying that, though, in this context, I think th that does take some creativity. We're, we have to think about things differently than we've been used to thinking for years, especially for people in my parents' generation who have just been used to growing up in a country or in the Bible Belt, which are we in the Bible Belt? Is that I think the hotel I went to yesterday that was playing Christian music. That's the Bible Belt in my mind. It's okay. All right. Okay. So Bible Belt adjacent, but okay. So we're in the Bible suspenders. Um, but if you're used to growing up in that environment and all the local and uh, state institutions, and and even you know if you go back. 30, 40, 50, 60, especially years, you're going to find that a lot of the national institutions are influenced by Christian ethical principles. You don't have to really worry about things. In fact, I think that's why the 2020 hits so many churches so hard, because now we're asking questions we haven't ever asked before. We just kind of assumed we were going to be able to operate, and now all of a sudden, oh, you can't operate. And we're like, wait a minute, that's something, that's, that's our right. So... We have to be creative. We have to find solutions that are going to work in this context. And so that's what I want to do. That's what I want to go over today. Um, I obviously believe that the work of identifying error in the church and naming that error is important. However, there is something equally important. And earlier this year, I realized this when I was in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. I'd already given for the previous year a number of presentations on social justice and something was different about this particular uh, venue. The members of different denominations attended, and I considered it probably one of my better presentations. I thought, man, you know, that was, that was good. That was the, the ideas just flowed, and, you know, people, I think, understood. Um, but up to that point, most audiences I had spoken to were surprised, right? You hear me say a name. You hear me say, and Al Mohler, you know, and they're like, oh, my goodness, he did that? Or... You know, Tim Keller did what? I thought he was. And, and you can see this shocked look. And then I like give you like 15,000 reasons why what I said was I just bury you with facts of like this is what he did here and here and here. And people are you can just see them like, well, not not in Bowling Green, not not when I was there earlier this year. No one was phased by it because you know why? They already knew 
They already knew something was awry, something was wrong. And I've seen this switch happen in real time as I've spoken um, to different, at different venues. So afterward, uh, there was an older man who came and, and has, asked a question. He wanted to know what the solution was. And I was just getting that sense from everyone there. It's like, we know that there's the problem here, John. So what? You just told us what we, you maybe put some meat on the bones, but what do we do now? And, and that was a recommendation this, this older man made to me is you know, make sure that you're including solutions to this problem, which my solution was stop it. If you've seen the <laughs> social justice coming in, is coming into the church, stop it, just stop it. <laughs> so I think phase one, which is recognizing the problem is kind of nearing completion at this point, or at least as complete as it's going to be. The Me Too movement supporting discrediting behavior. Team Amber, anyone? Uh, the grassroots protests and legislation against critical race theory in schools, which is still going on. An increase in sexually deviant messaging to minors. Diminishing confidence in election integrity. This isn't going on YouTube, is it? <laughs> Vandalism towards pro-life pregnancy centers. And the use of COVID mandates to target churches all served as occasions for what some on the right call red-pilling. If you weren't red-pilled before 2020, you are now, right? All the things that were fringe, that you were told, that's just pulpit and pen saying that. It's not really happening. Well, now you're like, wow, it, it is. Okay. Even Christians who remain blissfully unaware about the current political situation cannot ignore tension in their local churches. So far, no one has produced a major study on the prevalence of church splits, which actually surprised me over the last few years. But there is little doubt that disagreements over sociopolitical matters are causing them at unprecedented rates. And I'm talking rates, I'm talking a fracturing like this country has never seen in its entire existence, including the Civil War. At least in that conflict, when church denominations split, it was along geographic borders, right? This is every town. This is every, there's, you, you know the churches in town that support it. You know the churches in town that shut down. You know the ones that didn't. You know, and there's a reshuffling of the deck. And it, it's pretty much just about every place I've been, I'm finding Christians are, are categorizing themselves um, in ways that they haven't previously done so. They're, they're driving an hour or an hour and a half or sometimes even, I kid you not, two hours to be at a church that is going to remain open, not make them wear a mask, uh, is not for BLM and some of these innovations. And some churches are benefiting a lot from this. You know, the church of 30 people that all of a sudden, well, we didn't shut down. I guess everyone's coming here now. You know, it's the only option. Uh, some churches in, in some more progressive areas maybe didn't as much. I mean, they're, now, now the, the word's out, they're against BLM. They must be haters over there. And so it's just an, it's an interesting time to be alive. And even though that pollsters aren't checking for this, really, major Christian out, outlets such as Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, and Charisma publish articles that simply assume that these splits are happening. And there's many articles that they put out that they just, they just tell you, yeah, we know splits are happening all over the place. It is possible this upheaval contributes to trends pollsters do detect, such as church closings, Congregants trying to out services at alternative churches. That was an interesting one. Like 60%, more than 60% of, of people, congregants, and go to church in 2020 
When it came time to go online for a lot of these places, they were looking at other services, not the one of the church they went to. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, they, they found, well, pollsters have, have supposedly found this. Uh, and then, of course, pastors leaving the ministry. That's at an all-time high, pastors leaving. Uh, in fact, I found out just the other day, the seminary I went to, the placement rate is like 15 or 20 percent. I mean, the, of the graduates that receive a theological education, it's it was very low, the ones that actually end up in ministry. So when you get past that barrier and you're actually in ministry, now a lot of them don't even want to be in ministry. I mean, it's hard, but navigating the tension that we have today, the socio-political tension, I mean, it's a hard job for a pastor, especially pastors that have been taught not to take any political stands, and now they're like stretched like Gumby, you know, one side's here, one side's there. I'm not political. It doesn't work. So... What's the solution to this problem that we have? Well, the evangelical industry elites, fortunately, have given us their take, which is to blame this malady mainly on politically conservative cable news shows or internet personalities <laughs> discipling their members. And, and this is why the recommended solutions are to simply downplay, transcend, or ignore these political differences. Yet, the same outlets recommending this course of action have sanctified social justice concerns as necessarily Christian. So they're telling you, don't be political because you want Democrats, Republicans, everyone, Martians. You want them all happy in your church. Cannibals, I mean, just don't say anything about it. But then they turn around and they tell you, well, hey, if you're not, you're not championing abusers, or sorry, <laughs> opposite of that, victims of abuse, survivors, that's the term they use. If you're not... Uh, if you're not for BLM, if you're not having the Ukrainian flag wave outside your door, whatever the issue is, you're not being a real Christian. Well, you, obviously, that, those two things, can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That doesn't work. And it's not a viable path forward. And I think we're seeing that. This solution has been there since I was in seminary because those rifts were already starting to develop before 2020. And this model of pastors need to just try to Make sure that all these differences can remain in the same building. It, it is a recipe for a split down the road. You're kicking the can down the road. Furthermore, and more importantly, throughout the New Testament, Christ and the apostles warn against the subversive strategy of false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7, 15. They mislead, if possible, even the elect, Matthew 24. They cause dissensions, Romans 16. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, 2 Corinthians 11. They advocate a different doctrine, 1 Timothy 6. They secretly introduce destructive heresies, 2 Timothy 2. And they creep in unnoticed, Jude 1. Sounds pretty subversive, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty clear the whole New Testament's telling you they're not going to come with a big sign, I'm a heretic, I'm a heretic, let me in your church. They're going to come to you and say all kinds of things that sound good, but there's going to be something slightly off, some doctrinal issue, something somewhere, but it's going to be hard to tell. That's why you need people with discernment. Pastors need to be able to refute those who contradict. They need to be grounded in the word. So the New Testament tells us we're supposed to be aware of them. We're supposed to keep our eye on them. We're supposed to cut off their opportunity, test the spirits, and contend earnestly for the faith. Instead, what often happens under today's prevailing advice is that churches end up neutralizing legitimate theological and ethical concern while accepting false teaching and innovation. 
And the state of the clergy is one indicator of this. So currently, the United Methodists cannot prevent openly homosexual pastors from serving in their denomination, even though their doctrinal beliefs, not even saying what the Bible says, just their statements of their denomination say that you can't do that. Doesn't matter, right? It's still happening. The uh, Southern Baptists cannot keep women from becoming ordained pastors in their denomination. It's pretty clear if you read the Baptist faith and message, 2000, but they can't prevent it from happening. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, that's been the test case. They ordained some women pastors. They call them pastors, but uh, 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 that might be okay. And we're not, we're going to let that slide. Uh, In the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, they can't seem to stop same-sex attracted pastors from attaining leadership in their denomination. And it's not like there's not people trying. (laughs) There are. They just can't, they can't get there somehow. They they pass, um, I forget the term they use. It's not resolution. They They pass an overture and it goes, and they're like, yay, we did it. It goes to the churches to ratify and it doesn't get ratified. So, this is happening, these are just three examples, but in, in one sliver of the pie, this is just talking about the state of the clergy. But how do you compromise with that? You can't. You can't be in this. How do you compromise with people that have these diametrically opposed views and they don't play by the rules? You set down in stone, this is what it says, this is what we're going to do, and they don't play by those rules. They say, well, we're going to let it slide here. We don't, we're going to ignore that one. To make peace with the enemies of one's own core convictions is not a recipe for survival, and Christians in the pews are catching on. They're starting to see that. They're asking questions like, why did our elders march with Black Lives Matter during a pandemic in which they kept our church from gathering? How come our pastor publicly condemned Christian nationalists but not drag queen story hour? Why are election conspiracy theories treated with more disdain than evil policies pushed by the current administration? Christians are asking questions like these all across the country, and many are finding the answers they're receiving very unsatisfactory. As evangelical leaders scramble to downplay biblical truth and elevate foolishness. Today, I would like to answer the question posed to me in Bowling Green, what is the solution? What is the solution? If social justice theory is a secular religion, and I argue that that's what it is, and it's dividing not just our churches but our society at large, right? Then, how shall we then live as Christians? What do we do? First, we must set our expectations by recognizing how deep this infiltration truly is into our our institutions. So we need to get real. Conservative Christians need to get real. We need the ability to discern the differences between when a church or any organization is salvageable and when it is not. Answering this question determines where and when we invest the limited time and resources God gives us to steward. Very few organizations are able to change course once compromised by corrupt leaders and evil ideologies. Consider civic organizations that you once were part of. I was part of the Boy Scouts of America. That wasn't long ago. I was a teenager, right? I still remember at Camp Arise, and this is in New York, Christian, overtly Christian religious services. Uh, on Sunday. This is an organization I could never let my sons be in, right? Ever. (laughs) They they don't even call it Boy Scouts now. It's called Scouting, because anyone can join. And I I mean, I I don't need to go into more details there, but there's there's a lot of organizations obviously like this, organizations that you once were involved with, and now you say, I can't be involved in this anymore. 
This is compromise. At this point, attempting to take back an organization like scouting requires employing the same tactics Marxists use, such as embracing beliefs one does not agree with, waiting for the right moment, and revealing one's true conservative colors only after attaining control. So that's what, that's what happens to us all the time, right? If we were going to try to take these organizations back, that's kind of what we would have to do. Problem is, we're Christians, right? <laughs> and and this, is not, this is not the way Christians are to be salt and light in the world. We don't go and lie to everyone and you know, say that we believe things we don't believe, only to flip the organization later. In fact, following the prophet Daniel's uncompromising behavior is a far more ethical model. If we're going to do that, just be honest from the get-go. I'm not eating, I'm not eating this meat, and you do whatever you want with me, and you know, actually take a stand. And then if God raises you up, praise him. He can do that in a pagan uh, situation. He, he certainly can, your job, wherever. But yet, God does not seem to grant most believers the level of influence in pagan institutions that he granted Daniel. Daniel's unique in that sense. Now, there's, there may be Daniels in this room, but it's not going to be all of us, I don't believe. It is important to understand that while God can deliver any institution from error, he also allows error as a manifestation of his judgment, such as in the case of hardening Pharaoh's heart, speaking in parables to keep the proud from understanding and gaining forgiveness, or giving truth suppressors over to a depraved mind. A question one must ask when attempting to influence an organization that seems too far gone is whether it is better to re redirect energies toward more fruitful ends. Imagine wasting limited resources on trying to save the erring churches in Pergamum, Thyatira, or Laodicea when they are being judged. Like, would that be a, a, a smart thing to do? Another consideration is whether the organization has already effectively neutralized any attempts to reform it. This is what ultimately drove Martin Luther to starting a new church. Significantly, when the Apostle Paul entered a town, it was his pattern to preach the gospel first in the local synagogue. However, if he encountered significant opposition, he left and he continued his work of building the local church somewhere else. This wisdom is lacking among some theologically conservative leaders who continue to pour time and money into denominations, ministries, and churches that show little signs of spiritual vitality. We cannot hold on to a false hope. We need to make sure the Lord's resources are going to work, of the work of the ministry first and foremost. And that's obviously an individual decision for everyone, and you have to take inventory of what you're involved with and what efforts are showing fruit and aren't. But I'm just seeing this trend to pour resources into things that just aren't fruitful when we could have poured them into things that could, have, could be fruitful, can be fruitful. And, and I know it, it may be hard to let go of an organization that once did good work and produced, let's face it, good memories. I can look back at some Boy Scout things and be like, man, you know, run, going through the woods with, with uh, you know, my hatchet and finding some wood and, and you know, I mean, manly men stuff, right? It was great. But that... Those years are gone. That, that institution's not what it was. I have to come to, to, to grips with that. And it's the same thing with churches or Christian organizations. We have to, even though we, I was baptized at that church, my grandma went to that church, whatever it may be, I have an, my kids love that church. You have to get real. You have to, you have to really face the truth. It's often more comforting to believe a lie about something one loves than to face disappointment, just as living with stage four cancer is more enjoyable for someone when they do, don't know they have it, right? Yet Christians still need to face the truth. Public trust is shattered. People do not trust most social organizations, and for good reason. 
And this presents, I'm going to suggest, an opportunity for us, though it may not appear that way. Now, I believe, this is the second point, is the time to build. If there is anything the last few years revealed in the ranks of both political and theological conservatives, it is the fact that they are largely leaderless. Hardly any public representatives from these groups hold significant positions in influential industries, and those who do rarely affect positive change. Rank-and-file political conservatives are so desperate for heroes, they follow people like, wait for it, (laughs) Joe Rogan, Bill Maher, (laughs) Elon Musk, Kanye West, maybe, I don't know, Um, and other progressives, or people who were considered progressive five seconds ago. And the reason is because these people are actually willing to challenge facets of the current orthodoxy. I mean, they're kind of responsible for this mess, but they're like, whoa, 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 that's a little too far. Hold on. I'm cool with abortion, but you're getting a little bit too far with this whole infanticide thing. Or, you know, I'm all for government controlling every facet of our life, but I want to go and, and, and be outside during COVID. And you're making it, it, it's like things like this where it's like they're willing to challenge one facet of it. And so we're like, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't cheer that on to some extent, but it, what it shows is a desperation we have. We, we're leaderless. We're looking to these guys. They don't share any. Like, <laughs> what do I have in common with Bill Maher? Um, not much. So some political conservative leaders are also, this is sort of another an option that's being used right now. They're, they're starting their own organizations in response to this pervasive corruption. But here's the problem. They cannot seem, this is political conservatives, they cannot seem to prevent themselves from compromise. For example, The Blaze, The Daily Wire, and PragerU supported the concept of same-sex marriage earlier this year as they all rushed to officially congratulate David Rubin and his legal husband, David Jar- Janet, for becoming fathers through surrogacy. This is their official online social media platforms congratulating them. And I understand there's some good people, you know, there you got Steve Dace and uh, like there's Ali Stuckey and Matt Walsh. And they, I mean, we could name some people at these organizations who are, they, they weren't part of that decision, but it's, they're exceptions. And their official organization they work for did go this direction. They are not immune, these, these organizations, to the same forces affecting mainstream organizations, even if they are pulled along at a farther distance. Reminds me of a quote, dare I say Robert Louis Dabney, so I'm not, he's canceled, you can't quote him, but he said something that was true that I think is, and lest I be a plagiarizer, I need to give him credit, but uh, <laughs> a litton, I, I need to give him credit. But the conservatism, he said American conservatism is the shadow that follows uh, progressivism to perdition. It's just a shadow. It's, just, it's not where they are, but it follows them. It does, that distance seems to just... So now being conservative means, well, I'm okay with same-sex marriage, but this transgender sports business needs to end. How does that make any sense? <laughs> it doesn't. And what's, where, where are we going to be in 10 years? You know? Well, transgender sports is fine, but this new cannibal thing, I don't know about that. And if, you, if adults want to eat each other, I mean, but children, I don't, you know, they shouldn't cannibal story hour. I, I'm fine with the drag queens, but this is, you know, where, where are we going? We're, we're, we're just, we have no standard. We're, 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 we're drifting. And when I say we, I'm saying political conservatives, not Christians per se. There is a tendency, though, among theological conservatives to treat error with far too much gentleness. 
In most evangelical institutions, there is a great aversion to attributing theological drift to false teaching or identifying false teachers by name. On the contrary, many false teachers are affectionately called brother and receive a warm welcome when meeting with conservative leaders. Just recently, a prominent PCA, Presbyterian, church leader, recently, this is actually probably one of the most powerful on the conservative side leaders in the PCA, um, recently, uh, he, he referred to key social justice advocates in the PCA who push revoice theology and corrupt the gospel, like overtly so, as friends, I quote, friends from different perspectives, and quote, brothers in Christ, unquote. In fact, he wrote an entire article encouraging Orthodox believers to assume the best of these men. This, however, did not stop him from chiding politically conservative Christians if their excitement for Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter did not match their excitement for sharing the gospel. This is the conservative. This is the guy who's going to warn the sheep. Unfortunately, this example is not isolated. Conservative evangelicals are hampered by leaders who fail to protect them while gatekeeping against those who may be willing to do so. A few modern developments contribute to this chasm existing between managerial elites and decent ordinary Christians. First, pressure from the government. Pressure from the government and the media and corporations threaten the strength of Christian organizations more than internal pressure from members. And, and the higher you go in an organization, the more pressure is applied from these institutions. So in other words... In fact, we just heard it talked about a minute ago that those who are responsible for putting you in the position that you're in, whether, no matter what organization, whether it's political, spiritual, whatever, they are not as scary as the centralized authorities or the big media or the big tech. Those guys are more scary. So what are weak people going to do? They're, they're going to try to protect themselves against the threat they see. And they're not afraid of you, not as much as they should be, perhaps. And that's the, the, a lot of this stuff comes back to the, the unique situation we live in, in modernity. Uh, it, it wasn't, I mean, I, I grew up not knowing things instantly from the internet. I mean, we knew things pretty quick on television, but, you know, I mean, when Tim was growing up, they were sending smoke signals, right? <laughs> so it took you. How long did it take you to find out about, you know, when the Romans went to 70 AD and is? <laughs> yeah, it was a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the time, yeah, by the time it happened, the the i the i tablet, and I mean the stone tablet, it, the new iteration was out. It was, but <laughs> thanks for letting me pick on you. Um, <laughs> there's a there's an incredible technology has given us an incredible opportunity in a way, but an incredible, op, unfortunately, opportunity for pressure to be applied because now these these big organizations, they have like an all-seeing eye. They, they, can, they can find you in your local community and, 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 and do something to you if they want, or shame you, or try to cancel you. And um, anyone who's ever been a part of a, a, or has had to face down a Twitter mob knows what I'm talking about. I'm like, people I don't even know are you know, saying that I'm this horrible person and should be, my mother should have never given birth to me. And it's, it's just like, you know, that, this is a unique thing in a way. So, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, second, a, the, the highly technical nature of operating large organizations leave most members disinterested in their proceedings. 
So in the PCA, man, I don't have time to understand Robert's rules of orders and the whole the way they do their church government. It's like I don't want to, I don't want to be involved in that, right? That's just I'm I'm already falling asleep when I start hearing. I mean, who who wants to who watches C-SPAN for fun, right? Uh, <laughs> you do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> screw. So that's that's another barrier, though, because that's it's hard to keep people accountable when you're not paying attention to what they're doing because it's as boring as all get out. Uh, third, a penchant for specialized training favors those who pursue higher education over those who prove themselves capable through practical experience. We trust the professional who went to seminary. I've never met the guy, but I'm sure he's going to be great for our church because, boy, don't you know, Al Mohler's great, and I love his program. I don't know him either, but this guy went to his seminary. I mean, is that really realistic as a model for leadership? Now, it can work out. I'm not saying it can't. But that's, that's not the normal New Testament way of raising up pastors from, from within a congregation, watching them. No, I, I know their family. I know how they... Uh, how they reach their, you know, the lost and they treat their, their kids and all of that. So, so that, that's the other thing. And that, and that creates two kind of separate cultures. They even have their own languages, don't they? You have the layman over here and they have like plain talk, right? And then you have these word salads from theological eggheads that don't make any sense. But they're, you know, all these words that you'd have to define. And, 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 that, and that becomes a job security thing in a way, because if you need that kind of person, right, and it costs thousands of dollars to go get that degree from that institution, from, you have a, a, a class, you have a, 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 a chasm that exists between uh, two classes of people. So um, that's, that's the, the third thing. Fourth, career stability and longevity are more dependent on the favor of other elites than they are on the favor of an organization's members in general. So once you get to this, to, to become part of this managerial class, and, and I've seen this at institutions I've been at, then those become your buddies. Those become your peers. Those are, those are the guys you want the approval from. It's high school again, really. I mean, for those who went to uh, evil government corrupted education uh, or have seen TV shows about it, it's, you know, uh, it, it's, it's mean girls. It's, it's this whole... Uh, relationships and perceptions and just drama and and um and, and that's the world that you kind of have to live in to maintain our, your rank and you, you know your your job security because if it doesn't work out at first baptist church of wherever then well i better have a lifeline so i can go somewhere else and and you'll see this actually play out in government all the time how many people in government and in big business and in the media are all interconnected. They go to the same parties, they marry each other, they, right? they're, they're part of the same class of people and it's this rotating door where, well, if it doesn't work out here, you lose an election and next thing you're in this, you're running a think tank. And you're, so so you, that's how you keep your job security. Don't ruffle the feathers too much and um, maintain this, this perception, this likability among your peers. So who aren't you thinking about though? obviously God, but there, there's also, on a human level, you're not thinking about your actual constituents or the people that you serve. And this applies not just politically, it applies in the church too. So those are the four things it, that are unique to our situation to some extent that other situations in the past, pre, pre-modern situations, did not have as much. Now, these realities all contribute to a trend to reward the docile 
and diplomatic over the brave independent thinkers. The docile and diplomatic over brave independent thinkers. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed? I mean, there's all kinds of pejoratives out there, soy boys and you know, these kinds of things. What was that? I don't, I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Maybe I'm out of the loop. Oh, oh, I have heard that. I'm not a gamer, though, so sorry. Um, but I know exactly what you're, the memes of the blank, yeah. So th- this situation, though, has created leaders who we all know, and the pews are now waking up to because a little pressure's been applied in 2020 and, and now. They're not real leaders, especially men who are supposed to fill pulpits and re- lead ministries. Like, these aren't real men. They fold like a, like a wax paper when, you know, something happens. The good news, this is the extent of my negativity. I'm ending the negative part. The good news is that there are signs stronger institutions and leaders may be on the horizon. Okay? So here's, here's the, uh, the white pill, as they call it. A tendency to trust public figures who willingly risk their reputations is starting to emerge on issues common people care about. Donald Trump discovered this after uh, losing almost all of the favor that he had in the entertainment world only to win the presidency. It's kind of a weird situation, isn't it? Everyone hates me in the media, the entertainment, the educational establishment, the government, uh, pretty much every, but I still won. Something's kooky there, right? Jordan Peterson's popularity began when he refused to submit to forcibly using preferred pronouns, even though it threatened his job as a psychology professor. Currently, Pastor Doug Wilson, it's a name I'm not supposed to say, but I'm going to say it because it's it's an example here. Pastor Doug Wilson is gaining much Christian support for producing resources contradicting most of the current social justice threats. And in each case, these leaders' actions did not ingratiate them to professional peers or powerful institutions in their fields. In fact, they kind of blacklisted themselves with their peers, but they have a built-in audience now. That wasn't necessary for gaining the support of common people who willingly gave resources to build new platforms. And we're starting to see this a little bit. There's an opportunity for leaders who have skin in the game over image-oriented leaders. So the way leadership has, has been done, and, and I got a fire hose of this in seminary, is, and they don't say it this way, but this is what it is. Um, you have to project an image of yourself, all right? And everyone, the problem is everyone does that on TikTok now. So everyone knows fake images are easy to produce, so it's not worth much anymore, right? It's a market concept. Uh, scarcity means the higher the value. So because people can be whoever they want and on their phone they can make what in the 1950s they would have killed to have for special effects, um, it, this model's failing. But the model is basically project an image of yourself that people want, that, that people like. It's a likable pastor. You know, get, you know, get rid of this thing and let's have a, let's have a conversation. Let's have a kind of, there we go. you know, the TED Talk time, right? That, that's, what, that's what they're, they're doing. And, and that's on purpose, by the way. That's on purpose. So uh, if you're going to plant a church today, you're going to be told, basically, look for the strip mall. Call it the wave. 
and have like a little squiggly thing that no one knows what it means, but it's Christian somehow. Um, don't put a cemetery in, oh my goodness, and no steeples. It should not look like a church. We don't want people to be reminded of death, but we do want them to have coffee when they come in. That's nice. And smiling people, pay your greeters to smile at them, show all their teeth. Um, I know that's harder in some states than others, but make sure that, that they have a full set of teeth. Put the other people in other ministries. And, and when they come in, make it all about them, right? It's, it's, this is just so, I got sick of it when I was in seminary because I was visiting all these churches and I'm like, wait, which one? Is this the rock? Is this cross point? Is this the river? What, ch- what church is this? Oh, it's the same thing uh, every time. And that is falling because people know it's fake and they want authenticity, especially Gen Z. They want to know you're real because everything in their world's fake. Mom and dad, their relationship's fake. The, new, the media I see is fake. Everything my, the teachers are telling me is fake. Where's there a, is there a solid ground I can root myself in, right? Are we, are we short on time? So there's an opportunity for people who have skin in the game. In other words, they're willing to risk it. They're willing to be authentic with the truth. Gen Z is open. The polls are out on this. I was at a county fair earlier this year. We do it every year at my church, and we give the good person test, which many of you are familiar with, and share the gospel. And the last time I had done it, because I had been living uh, in North Carolina and Virginia for a few years, was like 2015 or something. And I remember back then, you know, we get all these millennials come in, and they've read Richard Dawkins or something, and they're all angry. And that wasn't the case this year especially with Gen Z, they came in and the, the main question they had was, what does God think about homosexuality? And some got offended, but most, if you shared with them, this is what the Bible says, they're like, okay, you know? And, and if you shared the gospel, they're like, oh, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing me. I got thank yous this year. I was like, what is this? Guys with earrings and, you know, tattoos are like, thanks for sharing that. Let's go to, um, uh, let's go to the palm reader now, honey. You know, it, they're, so, they're so open that they're willing to try almost anything including Christian nationalism. It's like, well, what's, what's, that, what's that drug? Is that a good one? And so this, there's a weakness to this, but there's also, there's, there's an opportunity to this because they're actually willing to listen. They're willing to hear you out. And faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. So Gen Z is open. And there is a demand right now for stability because of the social breakdown that we have all around us. So Christians, we're, we're the stable ones. We believe in a nuclear family. We believe in created realities. Guess what? We can define nation. We can define man, woman. Uh, we can define marriage. We know what a pastor is. I mean, we, we have stability in our definitions. We, we know what we believe. So here's my, my next point, and that is, with this opportunity in mind, think local. Think local, okay? January 6th, I was there. I didn't go in the Capitol, I, but I, I, I was at the rally, and it's fine to go. January 6th really isn't the answer, though. It's local election boards, right? It's doing something big, the big program approach isn't really the answer here. It's getting involved in your local community and your local church in ways, maybe in creative ways, you haven't thought of before that now you can start pondering. And we need creativity right now for this. This is already happening without Christians to some extent. 
thinking local uh, when it comes to like agriculture and farm markets and local art shows and I mean the local music this is all happening across the country young people want that because again they want authenticity I don't want to go to the corporate food chain I want the farm to table place that's going to charge me five bucks for an apple I don't know how you afford it but that's what they're going to they're willing to pay for that my wife and I are opening an Airbnb never done this before and uh, it's a lot of people from New York City who come up to our area. And my, my wife is doing all this research, and, and she's right about this. She's like, they, people want the experience. They want an authentic experience. That's why they come up to the country from the city. And so they're willing to pay sometimes for a tent out in the middle of a, of a field because we were in the country that weekend. Now... I live more, I'm more in a rural area compared to the city. I'm not paying for a tent, right? I mean, I, why, but, but that it's, it's in everything that people are looking for authenticity. So, um, so think, think on this local level. What can you do? Uh, education. What do we see happening right now? Moms for Liberty. They're getting a lot of traction. Why? Because they're going to local school boards. They didn't go to the Department of Education. They went to the local school board to try to effect some change. Homeschooling's becoming big, um, bigger than it's ever been. I have a friend, Eric Rowell, who's a local reporter in um, a small town in North Carolina. And he essentially said, the media's not doing their job in this town. I guess I'll just do it. So he attends all the board meetings. He writes articles. He films stuff. He, and he has, <laughs> he's been a thorn in their side, that's for sure. But that there's now a whole group of people that want to know what Eric thinks about it. They're not reading the local papers. I mean, he just circumnavigated the journalists, and they're real mad. They paid thousands of dollars for their degree, and I understand. But Eric's better than them. So, uh, There's a church I went to in Virginia not too long ago, and I don't think this is, fits in necessarily the ministry of the church, but at the church, they just knew each other, and they said, you know, we got farmers here. We got people with different skills, and they started a bartering group, bartering. So they don't have to, they're not paying each other. They are, but it's not with money. It's, it's trading, trading things. And they're ready. When that bomb goes off, when the, when the Putin nuke strikes, they got all their food. They, they're ready to go. And th- these are creative things. We haven't been used to thinking this way, but we, we need to start thinking this way. Um, conservative Christians of Tennessee just shut down a, a drag queen story hour. Uh, they shut it down, and they got local politicians to start backing them. Because you know what? The politicians saw... Oh, wow, there are a lot of people against this drag queen story hour thing. Those are votes. I guess maybe I should, I should be against it. That's how this works. In the church, um, as I've traveled, I mean, I mean, even this church, right? You're doing this conference. Local churches this size didn't usually, this wasn't, I don't, I don't remember a lot of conferences like this uh, growing up. I mean, it was like big conferences you go to that are put on by a parachurch ministry of some kind. We're circumnavigating it now. We're saying, we're not, we don't want your stuff. We, we can do that at our local church. We, we, can, we can take care of that. Um, I know uh, Joseph was, was telling me yesterday about their, the, the, your presbytery or your, um, yeah, your denomination and their seminary. They're, you're circumnavigating the seminaries to train men for ministry in a, in a more effective way, it sounds like, than they're doing. Um, you're starting, and you're starting a homeschool co-op, right? Here. I mean, th- these are the kinds of things that need to be taking place, and they are. That's the thing. And you don't hear about it because it's little churches all across the country that are starting to do this, and the papers aren't going out and, and covering this. But, but that is what's happening. 
So here's some other ideas for you. This is just some things I thought of, but um, just basic things for thinking local. Get firearms training. Why should I do that, John? Because the police might not always be able to protect you, so be self-sufficient, right? Protect your family. And in some areas, you definitely need that. The police, they've defunded the police. Uh, how about other, other ideas for replacing traditional institutions that have become corrupted? Run for local office, right? Start a private library. I've never seen that, but that's a good idea. If they're doing drag queen story hour, let's have a better library. Because most libraries, I don't know how you... So, I don't know what the one is like in this town, but sometimes they're a little lacking. You know, the shingles are falling off. and is, Well, create, donate some, some property if you have the property or something. You know, create your own library and have your own uh, uh, programs that are much superior. Um, have a, start a community garden. Charities. You can start local charities. Do what the welfare state can't do. Local music, festivals, radio, uh, shop local, use cash when you shop, because we, we definitely don't want a digital currency. That's going to make this all a lot harder. Um, my brother just had a baby, and they did something very unconventional. Maybe some of you have done it, but they did a home birth. And I, I admit, I was even a little skeptical at first. I'm like, are you, if something goes wrong, I was asking him like 20 questions. I was like, I was like this, you, your baby's going to, I mean, I, I was like, Dave, <laughs> this baby makes it, it's going to be, no, but it was better. It was a much better experience. And so um, there's just a lot of opportunities like that. In short, stop outsourcing to national and international organizations what can be accomplished on the local level. And here's my main reason for this. This is, after all, the Jesus and Politics Conference, and many of you are wondering, you haven't said Jesus yet. Well, I'm, here, here it is. Jesus' approach was local. Think about it. Twelve disciples. Uh, this wasn't a media blitz with paid advertising, right? It wasn't a coalition to bring together twelve disciples. He had organic gatherings. No sponsors from national corporations. This was just people showed up because that's where he was preaching, Raising up local leaders, not globalist urbanite clones from the pasture factory without any real-world experience and peach fuzz. Not them. No, he, he raised up real local leaders. That's what the people who carried on his work, the apostles, that's what they did when they came to a church. Paul stayed long enough to raise up the local leaders, and he went off to the next place. Um, this is, by the way, just... Side note, this is kind of the failure of neo-evangelicalism, we call it, since really not the late 40s, and that's kind of what we live in. When we say evangelicalism today, often that's what we're talking about, this industry that is focused on training leaders that you can kind of drop anywhere in the world, and they're, they're, they're going to be um, effective and respected and winsome and all that. And th- there is sort of an anti-localist bent to that. It's a one-size-fits-all approach to ministry. So that's not what the apostles did. Um, Make missionaries, this is what Jesus did, he made missionaries dependent on local resources. In Luke 10, he said, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Stay there, eating and drinking. Um, And then in verse 7, he says, so that was verse 3 to 4. Verse 7, he says, When you get there, stay there, eating and drinking, when when they give you food and water, for the worker deserves his wages. So who's going to sustain you when you're out there? Well, the, that, the way Jesus set it up was it was these local congregations. 
And so your loyalty becomes less to some uh, national organization or something. It's more the people you're actually serving. And the result, Matthew 13, is that the kingdom of heaven grows. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. That's, that's organic growth. That's not a media blitz. That's not top down. That's, that's word of mouth. That's a little here, a little there. So that's, what's, what can we do in the next town over? You guys are planning a church uh, an hour away from here, right? That's when you get there. Well, what, what, what about an hour from there? And what about an hour from there? And what about, that's how it works. It's, it's not a big crusade that packs out a stadium and you kill yourself spending thousands of dollars to create. So here's the last point with all of this, thinking local, getting real. Um, trust the Lord. And there's really two things to this, obey and rest. So give joyfully, have babies if you're married. Important, important yeah, caveat there. If you're married, pray, make disciples, use the gifts that God's given you, invest them wisely, and then rest. Give thanks, enjoy his blessings, and you know what? Have a little fun. Have a little fun. Intentional fun. Um, I don't know where this idea came from that Christians need to just, they can't enjoy things around them. In fact, I remember I was in, uh, oh, where was I? Wisconsin at a church, and we, we opened it up to Q&A, and there was this kid in the audience. And he raised his hand. He said, Mr. Harris, he's so respectful. I was like, he's definitely homeschooled. And he says, Mr. Harris, I want to know what I can do as a kid about this. And I'm thinking, man, his parents just let him hear about gender theory and Black Lives Matter and violence. And I'm like, what are you doing here? But what can I do, Mr. Harris? <laughs> I said to him, you know what you can do? You can have a lot of fun. Well, what's that going to do? Well, and, and I also said you can share Jesus with your friends. I didn't forget about it. It's not just fun. But I said, that's what they, the other side doesn't want you to do. They're, they're total killjoys. I mean, they just want you to be outraged about everything, nitpicking at everything. It's like, you enjoyed your time with a boat on the lake, you white privilege. You know, you know what? I'm going to go skiing. Bye. Um, <laughs> I just said, have fun, enjoy. That's how you learn to enjoy the things God's given you, too. So don't forget about that. I know maybe some of you don't need to be told, and you're having too much fun, and you need to get to work. But, but for the rest of us, uh, have a little bit of fun. Uh, and then sleep well, right? Go to bed and just know God's got it. God's in control. And whatever happens in this country, because I'll tell you this, it's not going back to what it was. We know that. It, 1950s, can't go back to it. 1840s, can't go back to it. 1770s, can't go back to it. Uh, I know, because that's when you were in high school. And you were... <laughs> oh, oh, right. Um, the Bee Gees will never be popular again. Thank the Lord. But we, we can create a, a new future. God, uh, God can create a new future, and he can use us in that process. He's still going to build his kingdom. And whatever's coming next, whether rain or shine, God's still in control, and we can only do what we can do. So invest your time, invest your talent, invest your treasure, and, uh, and leave the results to God. And, um, 
And then one last thing, because I said it last night, and, and Joseph said I should post it online. I'll just say it here, though. The, the stakes are high, okay? So I don't want to leave it on a completely fun note here, but the stakes are, are high. And so we need to have a, we have to balance this. We have to have a seriousness about what's going on, but also uh, a trust in the Lord and a willingness to have fun and things. It is, seriously, it really is either drag time story hour or, or what they're calling now Christian nationalism, which I guess just means Christian principles and government and, you know, society. It's one of those two. There's no in-between. Don't buy this myth of, you know, a liberal neutral ground somewhere that we can all get along on. No, it's, it's one or the other. Pick one. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, I pick Jesus. I'm not picking, I'm not picking this weird, brave new world we're going towards. So uh, with that, thank you so much for your time. Uh, God bless. And if you have any questions, yeah. Oh, I guess we're doing that now. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details